This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, October 2nd, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster, only working from my home in Montana. I'll be headed to Philadelphia early on Monday morning. Taylor Schwink is working from the Schwink Studios, and Sarah Abbott is back in the Bristol area as well. There's a lot to talk about today on the last day of the regular season, but this was an incredibly sad day. Former Red Sox knuckleballer Tim Wakefield uh, passed away at age 57 on Sunday. There was an enormous response on social media from other players that he played against, from teammates, from people all around baseball about what a great person he was. Here was Alex Cora, the Red Sox manager, after the Boston game. We lost a brother, a teammate. Uh, a family member, you know, uh, stays in the kids, you know, my condolences, uh, you know, we're here for them. But, uh, you know, like I was telling the guys, you know, this guy, uh, one of the best teammates I ever had, you know, and this is not BS. You know, this guy was there for us all the time. He was accountable. He, he, he was what a Boston Red Sox should look like. You know, um, I don't know if you guys noticed, everybody had their jerseys in the dugout. It was a tribute to him because I, 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 all the guys that I play with, nobody wore his jersey with more pride than Tim Wakefield. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a tough day for all of us. I know it's a tough day for you guys. And, um, you know, another reminder that 162 is just a game, you know. That's, it's just a freaking game, you know. And, 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 you know, I saw him September 14th, and he went to my office. And, you know, he was having th- his thing the next day, and he was just a regular guy. You know, just talking to me, talking about baseball, and he say, "I'll be fine. I'm gonna be fine." And he's fine. He's fine. You know, uh, you know, we we have a lot of stories. Um, you know, we have a, uh, you know, we have a history together. You know, not only with me, Tech, Ramon, all the guys. You know, and uh, you know, it's just a sad day for us. Sad day for the organization. Red Sox owner John Henry said in his statement that Wakefield, quote unquote, embodied the very best of what it means to be a member of the Boston Red Sox and his loss is felt deeply by all of us. We're going to be talking more about Tim Wakefield coming up with uh, Tim Kirkchen. The playoff field is set in Major League Baseball after the events of the weekend. On Saturday, the Rangers were playing the Mariners, and they clinched a playoff berth. Two balls, two strikes, two outs. 6-1 Texas. Here comes LeClerc. He struck him out swinging. And the Rangers are back in the postseason for the first time since 2016. That from 105.3, the fan, Bruce Bochy, the Rangers manager, spoke with his players in the locker room. I know we got some work to do. But you celebrate big victories, and this is a huge one. We started in spring training. We're heading to the postseason. Enjoy, savor this. Get a little more work to do. We're going to celebrate, though. Congrats on going to postseason, everybody. There's our old friend Bruce Bochy talking to his players. The Marlins clinched a playoff berth, their first in almost two decades. They are ready to explode here in Pittsburgh. Three and two, the count to Rodriguez. Scott comes set, and the pitch is swung out and missed strike three. There it is. They've done it. The drought is over. 20 years of waiting has come to an end here in Pittsburgh. It's time to party in Miami. They spill out onto the field here at PNC Park, 
as 25,000 look on here in Pittsburgh tonight. What a scene! What a scene! The Marlins beat the Pirates 7-3. They are postseason bound in 2023. At from 940 WINZ, yeah, the Marlins reaching the postseason against all odds. Skip Schumacher, Miami manager, talked about the team after the game. I mean, look at that group. I just, I can't stop. I'm just like a proud dad, you know, just looking at all these kids. Just, they grew up from spring training to now, and I'm just so proud that they get to enjoy this. That from Bally Sports. The Cubs, on the other hand, had a very different experience over the weekend. They won on Saturday 10-6, to but they were eliminated because of the events of the day. Here was Cody Bellinger talking about the Cubs coming up short. We all uh, wanted and expected to be in the postseason. That's what we strive for in spring training. Um, you know, we we had we thought we had the group. We did. We uh, and we had a great team. Um, you know, we were playing unbelievable baseball uh, in July um, to even put us in this situation. Um, you know, could have went went either way. And uh, you know, we fought till the very end. Um, obviously, the last few weeks it was was more on the frustrating side uh, than any of us uh, wanted to be. The Houston Astros took care of business. They had an opportunity on Sunday to win the American League West with a victory, and this is what happened. As Bregman sends one deep to left field, all the way back to the wall. What a start! Alex Bregman putting the Astros on top 2-0. Two pitches into the game, and the Astros lead by two. And they would go on and win, and they win the American League East. So the Astros and the Orioles, the Orioles are the number one seed in the American League. The Astros are the number two seed. And then in the other two series, you've got the Toronto Blue Jays will be facing the Minnesota Twins, and the Texas Rangers will be in Tampa Bay to face the Rays. The Rays, of course, the number one wild card team. And on the National League side, the Marlins will be facing the Phillies. That's the broadcast that uh, our group is going to be doing, the Sunday Night Baseball group of Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez and David Cohn and myself. And then in the other wild card series, you get the Diamondbacks against the Brewers. The winner of the Marlins and the Phillies take on the Braves. The winner of Diamondbacks Brewers take on the Dodgers. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live and boy, there was not a ticket to be found. The hottest ticket in Detroit uh, on Sunday was at uh, Comerica Park because everybody turned out for Miguel Cabrera's final game with the Detroit Tigers, the future Hall of Famer. And he got a little surprise from his kids. 24, our father, Miguel Cabrera. Really cool. And Miguel Cabrera's kids announced his name for his first at bat in the final game of his career. And then it was a cool ending to this where Miggy was put in, shifted from DH to first base for the eighth inning. And then he was able to field the ground ball and he was taken off the field. It was quite a moment. We're going to be hearing about all of it from A.J. Hinch, the Tigers manager, in just a little bit. The Orioles get bad news, by the way, over the weekend. Not a surprise, but still hurts the Orioles. Uh, Their closer, Felix Batista, will undergo Tommy John surgery. The Orioles also announced that he has new contracts for 24 and 25 because, of course, he is going to be facing a situation where he's going to have a long rehab. He's expected to miss all of next season. Buck Showalter will not return as manager of the Mets. Surprisingly, he was the one who told reporters about this on Sunday. And on Friday, after we taped the podcast, the Giants fired Gabe Kapler after four seasons. 
The quote from Farhan Zaidi, head of baseball operations for the Giants, was after making this recommendation to ownership and receiving their approval, I met with Gabe today to inform him of our decision. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, when you're listening to this podcast right now, we're probably actively working on the College Game Day podcast, which will be out a little bit later on Monday. We got some fill-in guys. We got Marty McGee slotting in for uh, for Reese, who doesn't have a voice right now. Um, He lost it calling that Duke-Notre Dame game. We had signs of that early on in the week, so um, he's going to get some rest. Pete Thamel is at an athletic director conference, which sounds like Christmas morning for him. So you're going to get Marty and McGee on the College Game Day podcast. You can listen to that where you're listening to this pod right now or on YouTube. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. And Tim Kirkson covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, we have a lot to talk about today. On the last day of the regular season, but in the middle of it, just horrible, sad news about Tim Wakefield. I'm sure that uh, during his long career, uh, his time with the Pirates, his time with the Red Sox, that you got a chance to know him. What uh, what jumps out of you about Tim Wakefield? Well, I really liked him. I knew him really well, and I am really sad. Uh, I used to love to talk to him about the knuckleball because knuckleballers have never gotten their due in baseball history. And he's one of them. I believe he started more games for the Red Sox than any Red Sox pitcher ever. And people still look at knuckleballers like they're some sort of carnival act when it's really hard to throw a knuckleball. And that's what I talked to Tim Wakefield a lot about was that pitch and how he learned to throw it and how Charlie Huff used to help him 
all the time. He was so good to talk to about that pitch, but also Buster, you may remember he was a really good hitter in college and he was going to be a good major league hitter. And then they made him into a pitcher and he lost his swing. Just another reminder. When you stop trying to hit, you, you can't catch up very fast at all. So I will always remember him for being one of the kindest, nicest guys I've ever met, but his speaking about the knuckleball is something I'll never forget. Yeah. And he did so much community service work. That's what jumped out at me today. And and much in the same way the other day when Brooks Robinson passed away, you know, I watched a lot of the videos that were posted with Tim uh, and a Roberto Clemente award winner, uh, all the, you know, efforts he made to, to raise money uh, and, and to see the response from all of his former teammates just pouring out on social media today where, I mean, he touched the lives of so many people. And I'm sure I'll be hearing more of that over the next 24 hours. Yes. Oh, absolutely. He was one of the most popular players I know that the Red Sox have ever had. I know Terry Francona uh, talks glowingly about Tim Wakefield and what he brought to that team in so many different ways. And again, it was just his gentle nature that people liked. But more than that, when he went out there on the mound with that knuckleball, he became a ferocious competitor, which you have to be if you're going to throw a pitch that floats up there the way that his does. Um, So, yeah, I'm sure we'll hear from many, many, many more teammates about beloved Tim Wakefield. All right. We're going to be talking in a moment about the races. But first, I want to talk about the ending of the season and and some of the news that came with it. First and foremost, Buck Showalter, a year after the Mets won 101 games and Buck was named manager of the year, he is out. And the news actually came from Buck Showalter in his press conference today. Give a listen. Billy and the organization, in fairness to, to me, gave me the option of, uh, you know, um, of stepping aside or either, um, I don't know, what else. But anyway, I, I appreciate that. But, uh, you know, the new leadership, they're going to go in a different direction, ship, direct, direction with the uh, manager next year. So I just want to let you all know that. I got a lot of things here I could say, but, uh, you know, I did want to make sure I got some things out there. You know, they have a... You know, just like uh, before, I've talked to some of the players today, trying to hit everybody, talk to the coaching staff just to give them a heads up on what's coming. So, so you guys are more interested in tweeting this out and being first. So, who got first? Yeah, and so what happened, Tim, was he, you know, t- he, Buck, you, you could tell he was visibly annoyed when people weren't, weren't listening to him as he was talking about, you know, people that he wanted to connect with today. I thought the way this played out was really, it was really awkward. Uh, You know, the Mets put out a statement after Buck made that announcement, uh, basically confirming that he'd been fired. And from what I understand and digging around, and we'll hear more from David Stearns on Monday and when he's first introduced, you know that uh, it was just a few weeks ago that it was, uh, I think, on September 12th that David Stearns was named head of baseball operations for the Mets, but he hadn't been formally introduced. Well, apparently... According to my sources, Stearns basically let the Mets know that, look, I, you know, I want to take the job, but one of the conditions is I want to be able to hire my own manager, which I don't think is unreasonable. You know, David Stearns, maybe the, the guy he's, he has his eye on is Craig Council, who, of course, is uh, in his free agent year as manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. But I do think it's kind of ridiculous for the Mets to sit around knowing that Buck is going to get fired 
uh, and not talking with them about it. And essentially, and it didn't seem like it came down in a way, Tim, where they went to him a few weeks ago and said, look, we're going to be making a change at manager. Uh, how do you want to handle this? Would you like to go home now or would you like to go out for the rest of the season? But for everyone to be hanging in the balance when they already knew they were going to let him go, I, I, I think that's kind of appalling. What do you think? Yeah. An announcement like this has to come from the team. And if there was any question whether Buck Showalter was going to break this news, well, that simply cannot happen. It has to come from the owner, from the general manager, from the club president, from the PR department. Somebody has to say this before Buck Showalter does. Because that was beyond awkward, him having to say what he said. And you're right. If they knew uh, three weeks ago that a change was going to be made, then they should have announced it today, and they should have been out in front of this. And, yes, David Stearns has every right to hire his own manager. He's never hired his own manager before. Craig Council was in Milwaukee when he got there. So, yes, he has that right, but this has to be handled better than that. Yeah. And, and as I say, it will be interesting to, uh, you know, for David Stearns to be in front of a, a microphone and to answer questions about how this went down uh, and to address the question if they knew three weeks ago why that didn't happen. I guess that's really a question for Steve Cohn, for Billy Epler. Um, you know, we'll see. Maybe we'll hear more from Buck as well. All right. You talk about strange endings. How about potentially the end of Joey Votto's career today? The Reds were playing uh, the St. Louis Cardinals and Tim, he got ejected early in the game for arguing about a call in which he was apparently right based on the StatCast data where you can see that the pitch was outside. He was yelling from the bench. He gets ejected. He goes out. He makes his case. And it was clear as he was leaving the field, he was trying to, you know, sort of, uh, you know, touch the umpire and say, hey, you know, I get it. You know, and I think he was trying to have a proper goodbye because after that he tweeted out, I cannot holler at the umpire from our team's bench. He was completely justified in injecting me. For those that wanted to see me play today, I am sorry. Tim, this is Joey Votto taking the high road. Yeah, well, he's really taken the high road a bunch of times in his career, especially lately. And I'm not sure what was screamed from the bench, but I, I think you just have a little – you know, understanding of place and time and recognize this could be Joey Votto's final game of his career. It must have been egregious what he said in order to get chucked in that spot. But good for him for apologizing and saying, you know, instead of taking it, you know, putting the umpire out there, he put himself out there, which, again, is typical Joey Votto. So potential finishes for careers, uh, and definitely in the case of Miguel Cabrera leaving the Detroit Tigers. Zach Ranke hasn't announced whether or not he's going to retire. He did give a one final wave, came out of the dugout, one more wave for the crowd in Kansas City. Brandon Crawford with a nice finish with his kids throwing out first pitches. Anything jump out of you today that really stuck with you? Well, uh, first off, Miguel Cabrera is one of the greatest hitters we've ever seen. Um, look at those career numbers now. They're ridiculous. He had a walk-off homer in his first major league game. And until recent years, he's been a great hitter the entire time. So for him to go out with this many hits, this many homers, MVP, triple crown, it's pretty darned impressive. Zach Greinke, um has a borderline Hall of Fame career. 
I think he's going to make it eventually. I don't think he'll make it right away. Um, one of the most interesting people I've ever seen as far as, you know, he's just so distant at times, but so intelligent and such a great pitcher. And I hope everyone understands that Brandon Crawford played more games at shortstop than any player in the history of the Giants. And their history goes back to the 1800s. Nobody but nobody handled himself with more dignity and class in the way that he played the game. Um, And he's a Roberto Clemente Award nominee this year for all that he's done with his parents uh, for ALS. Um, So Brandon Crawford, I just hope people understand if this is it for him, how important he was to those Giants championship teams. So tell me what stood out for you in the last 72 hours of the races with the Astros, Jays, and Rangers in in the American League. The Astros wind up winning the American League West incredibly. Uh, in the National League, you have the Marlins and the Diamondbacks are in. The Cubs are out. What, uh, you know, something to first thought when you, you saw what happened over the weekend. Yeah, well, what stuck out most for me is the Astros. Let's not forget, Buster, a week ago, they just got swept at home by the Royals who had 102 losses. And people were saying this team might not make the playoffs. Then I, then they went into Seattle, a hostile place and won two out of three. And I did that Wednesday night game on the radio and it was really impressive how they played in Seattle. Um, and then <laughs> to go to Arizona and play a team that needed to win and play the way the Astros did there to win the division, not be a wild card, get a bye from the wild card round. It just shows you again what experience this time of year really matters. And I don't want to be corny about this, but never underestimate the heart of a champion. That is a championship team, and they will remain it until someone dethrones them. But that was a really great last week by the Astros. Very impressive. So you're going positive. I'm going to go negative. I, I, I got to believe this is going to be a really hard winner for the Chicago Cubs with the way this season ended because they were, I, I think, at the, you know, the middle of September, it seemed like a lock to be a playoff team. And then what happened, Tim? I'm not sure what happened. As we know, Buster, from June 8th until the middle of September, they – just crushed the ball. They were after the Braves, arguably the best offensive team in the National League. And then when things really came uh, to, to, to being great, they, they weren't there. Plus, Justin Steele, who had a fabulous season, and he's going to be in the top three of the Cy Young. He had a couple of really bad starts down the stretch, and they just didn't play very good baseball, fundamental baseball, which David Ross's teams always do, but not down the stretch. And I am I am really surprised that the Cubs um, played the way they did down the stretch because you're right, beginning of September, I don't know if they were a lot, but they were looking awfully good to make the playoffs. All right. Cal Raleigh, after the Mariners were eliminated, was very outspoken. I'm just going to basically paraphrase. The way I read his quotes were essentially that uh, he wants the organization to put more resources into the team. He essentially said, hey, look over there, talking about the Rangers, and how much money the Rangers are spending. And he was essentially calling for Seattle to have more of a commitment. And he did apologize to some degree on Sunday for this, because I think he realized that he was, uh, some of his comments may have been read as criticism of his teammates. Uh, the one thing I would say about that, Tim, is, boy, I felt like the Mariners 
had a chance to establish themselves in the first half of the year, and they just didn't play very well. And when we were sitting in, in early July and Jerry DePoto was trying to d- decide whether to, to buy or sell, I mean, there was a legitimate concern about which direction the team was going. What do you think? Yeah, Buster, they got off to a terrible start. And, and right from the beginning to the end, they are not a good offensive team. That, day, that game I did Wednesday night really showed that they are a hitter short, if not two hitters short. They left 13 men on base in that game. And, you know, Cal Raleigh is a very bright guy, by the way, and a very honest guy. And I understand he wasn't criticizing his teammates, but it's just not good enough that they didn't make the playoffs because they were 10 games out of first place, Buster, in the second half of the season. Then they went 21-6 and in August and got everyone excited and then really played poorly in September. I did not see that coming, but the bottom line is they – they really need some help offensively, and I think that's what Cal Raleigh's probably saying. You know, defense is good, pitching is really good, but they didn't score enough runs to make the playoffs, and we saw that early, and then we saw it down the stretch. Yeah, and they traded for Teoscar Hernandez, thinking that he was going to be a big boost to the offense. That didn't turn out. They were actually the winners of probably the most aggressive trade last year in adding Luis Castillo they look like a team at the end of last year that was going to make the playoffs, but Julio Rodriguez didn't get off to a good start. They had other guys underperform. So I, I, you know, I, I get it. It's the frustration of the moment after being eliminated, but I, I you know, the finger pointing, I, I'm a little bit surprised by, uh, he had been asked what role outside talent could play in moving forward. And his response was, we've got to commit to going and getting those players. You see other teams going for getting big-time pitchers, getting big-time hitters. I don't know, Tim, Luis Castillo, Teoscar Hernandez seem like those are relatively aggressive moves. And if they had played better in the first half, I think that you would have seen the Mariners be even more aggressive before the trade deadline. So we'll, you know, we'll see where that goes this winter. Before you go, I'm going to ask you for your picks, which you and I both know will be completely wrong, as my picks will be as well. Uh, I'm just going to ask you for the end. Uh, who is going to be playing in the World Series and who's going to win? All right, I'm going to say the Braves are the best team in baseball, and I think they're going to win the World Series. I think the American League is way up in the air. All sorts of teams could do some damage. I think every American League team has a chance to go to the World Series. But I'm going to say the Astros are going back to the World Series because of, again, what I saw – down the stretch and that last week of the season. And now they're starting pitching. It's gotten a little bit better. That bullpen is still really good, but that lineup is long and it is deep. And again, they know how to win this time of year. So uh, I kind of scares me, but I'm with you with the Astros. That's who I'm going to pick to come out of the American league out of the national league. I'm going to pick the Phillies and I know they got one more round to go than the Atlanta Braves do. I'm just worried about the Braves pitching staff. When, you know, I saw a picture the other day of Charlie Morton and, and uh, uh, Max Freed comparing fingers, you know, bro- injured fingers and, you know, where they stand with those. I, I just worry about the depth of that pitching staff, Tim. Yeah, look, I'm not suggesting the Braves are, are a slam dunk to go to the World Series. I'm not doing that at all because Max Fried is critical. So is Charlie Morton. Otherwise, it's going to be Spencer Strider, and then they're going to have to figure some things out. Um, and their bullpen is good. It's not tremendous. And but the, the, just the way they hit the ball in the ballpark, I think, makes them 
the favorite, but I'm with you on the Phillies buster. This team looks a lot like the team that really got it together at this time last year. And I think they're even better with Trey Turner and better pitching. So very dangerous national league Dodgers, Braves, Phillies, and some others. It's going to be a tremendous October because I just can't get a feel for a whole lot of things right now, which is the, the ultimate beauty of the game. The X factor for the Astros, I think, is Framber Valdez and whether or not he can get back to having that turbo sinker, you know, gets a lot of ground balls because that that was a big change in him this year and he was a lot more inconsistent. What series are you doing first round? I, I, <laughs> I am going to Tampa tonight to do the Rays. I really thought at one point, more than one point, they'll be playing the Blue Jays. I went to the Blue Jays Rays game yesterday in Toronto just to get me prepared, and then the Blue Jays lost two games in a row. Then I was pretty sure that it would be the Astros because I thought the Rangers would hang on and win the division. So my the third team that I thought was going to play in Tampa is playing in Tampa. That's the Rangers. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it'll be great, great fun covering that series. All right, our group has Phillies and Marlins, and uh, we'll be digging into that series more on Tuesday morning. All right, Tim, thanks for doing this. Travel safe. Okay, Buster, see you. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you feeling at the end of uh, the final day of the regular season? I'm feeling good, but you know, there were so many tears today from Brandon Crawford with his kids hugging him on the field, seemingly upset not to be coming here again to the ballpark or whatever it may be. Adam Wainwright getting another at bat, being surprised by Bulls and Yachty, and of course Miguel Cabrera. I mean, there were so many tears today. So, you know, great final day. I love how frenetic and fast ever this when every game starts at the same time. And especially this year with the pitch timer. But like it all happens so so fast. But you know, just recovering emotionally. Yeah, there were a lot of great goodbyes. I'm glad you mentioned Adam Wainwright because I didn't cover that with Tim. Uh, it was really cool when Yachty and, and Albert came out of the dugout together. Uh, Adam covered his face. I think he, when he was hugging uh, Yachty, he was getting emotional, and that was really cool. Even Zach Greinke, who you never know what uh, how he's going to react. He gives that final wave to the fans in Kansas City. So, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, and it was a final goodbye last Friday, apparently from the Giants to Gabe Kapler as their manager. And, uh, of course, anything Giants-related, we always ask you what your mom's thinking about it. And what did you think about that? Were you surprised? Well, I mean, I'll start with her reaction. I think she had a level of surprise. You know, she texted me, what more could he have done? I do think that the team this year, performance-wise, uh, wins-wise was about where most people expected them to be. I don't remember the exact biggest over under, but I believe they're right near it. But I do think overall, this is a team that went out and tried to sign Aaron Judge, tried to sign Carlos Correa, and there was an expectation of getting back to where that 2021 team had been, and there was an expectation, I think, from the fan base and the organization reaching different heights. And for whatever reason, they hadn't gone there. And it's just kind of felt like 
this was an organization that felt the need to make a change. I do think he had an outstanding tenure on the whole in that in San Francisco. And I think if you look back, you look at the roster and what he got out of them, that needs to be remembered as doing a really, really good job. But it just felt like, you know, vibes isn't a thing, not something we can quantify. And it did feel like the vibes around the Giants, especially with how they played in September, kind of just got away from everyone. Yeah, I talked to an evaluator another team. He said the bottom line is they didn't have a lot of great players. They had a, they had some good players. They didn't have a lot of great players. I don't know how you put that on Gabe Kapler. It did seem like a reactive move to maybe some of the stories that came out in the last two weeks about the clubhouse culture. You know, because the C. Uh, you know, the C, uh, chairman of the board came out in the middle of August and said that Gabe was safe and that Farhan Zaidi was safe and something changed. And if, in fact, the minds of people in the organization were changed by those articles, that uh, I, I don't think that says great stuff. Like they, people in the organization should be have knowledge of all of that uh, when they had initially made that uh, announcement that they were going to keep both for 2024. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 100. So to give some, uh, you know, not a run listening right now, in the fan of one of the 12 teams tied to the postseason, you know I like to be as upbeat as possible. So I want to give some positivity about these playoff teams that should warm the hearts of anyone who's team maybe didn't perform the way they would have wanted to this year. So that 100 is for the Orioles, Diamondbacks, and Rangers. They all lost at least 100 games back in 2021. Orioles lost 110, Diamondbacks lost 110, and the Rangers lost 102. They were the three worst teams in baseball in 2021. And now they're all going to the postseason. So this is the first time that multiple 100 lost teams from the same season have all made the playoffs either a year or two years after losing those 100 games. I just think that's, I mean, that's why baseball is best. I know I say that a lot, but it's because things like this can happen. We can see these kinds of turnarounds, and all of these teams have turned around in a way where this isn't a flash in the pan. We don't expect them to not contend next year. These are teams that had those low points and are now in a contending sort of uh, way of being. Number two. Number two. Uh, it should be 100, but I don't want to repeat numbers, so it'll be four. So the Dodgers have now won 100 games. In four consecutive non-short seasons, and I just think that's an incredible accomplishment. They're the first team in MLB history to win 100 games in four straight full seasons. I know it's frustrating to have that qualifier for 2020, and nobody's fault. And of course, in the one uh, short season, they won the World Series, so it all works out there. But it is incredible. I mean. I think back to our preseason podcast, talking in spring training, none of us thought, or certainly I didn't think this would be a Dodger team to have another 100-win season. 
is such a testament to Dave Roberts and that team that they were able to win 100 games yet again in the year that we all thought would be almost a retooling or to take a step back here. Number one. Number one is 501. So this is just, I know I've said incredible like five times. I'm going to say it again. The Braves, I know they didn't set the home run record, although they did tie it in really dramatic fashion, giving them the lead in the top of the ninth. Their final game of the year, getting to the bottom of the ninth and getting a chance to tie the single season home run record. So even though they end up tied with those 2019 twins, they slugged 501 this season. That is the highest slugging percent by any team in a single season. The prior record was 495. So, I mean, when you're a kid and you're learning baseball stats, how to read a baseball card, 500 is kind of the number you hear of, hey, that's where that's a good slugging percent, right? That time, that baseline, what you're looking for. As a team, they slug 501. Just think about that. I mean, that tells you what kind of force they're going to be to contend with in October. Yeah, an absolutely incredible statistic. Uh, before you go, I insisted about uh, that Tim give me his World Series picks. I've got Phillies beating the Astros. He's got the Braves beating the Astros. What say you, Sarah Langs? Well, I agree with both of you that the Astros will be there. Man, I am so torn between the Braves and the Phillies. I think I have to lean Phillies, even though I said all that about the slugging. I'm pretty worried about the Braves pitching. The way it has performed lately, I know these games haven't mattered for them, but the guys who they may have to rely on as they wait for Max Green to be fully healthy and what have you. I'm not necessarily answered the call. And the Phillies, I mean, it felt like the moment they clinched that postseason berth, everyone across baseball and everyone on that team remembered this is the team that was, you know, dancing on my own and everything else last postseason. And I know it's a fun storyline to say, oh, they were spurned last year and now they come back and do it. So I really, truly think they might. We've seen this lately. I mean, you know, we had the Royals a couple of years ago. We've had other teams lately lose the World Series, come back, and win the next year. So, I mean, I would love to see the Phillies do it. I do think the Astros get back there. Yeah, I think a big difference for the Phillies this year compared to last year. Remember how their pitching was kind of on fumes? Even as the postseason began, Zach Wheeler was, he was gassed. Like he, he was not in a great place physically. And this year he's in a great place physically. You know, they rested him a ton through September because it looked like they were going to be a good place to make the playoffs. So it's a dangerous team. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Lester. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. 
That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. AJ Hinch is the manager of the Detroit Tigers, and today he was the uh, orchestrator of everything that went on with Miguel Cabrera. I'm sure you had that all planned out, AJ, all the way through that ground ball in the eighth <laughs> inning. <laughs> what, what a fun well, finish for Miguel. And, and I must say, and you know him better than I do, but he, he's always struck me as being relatively impassive. But, man, as he came off the field and he was hugging teammates, there were tears. Yeah, he's um, he's really been incredible, you know, behind the scenes. And he's finally started to open up a little bit about, you know, what this month has meant to him, what, you know, what the the, the last couple of games, his homestand, which we celebrated him every single day. And, and then the Miggy weekend where there were different aspects where his parents are throwing out the first pitch, his kids throwing out the first pitch and then helping me walk him off the field today. Um, to the to the chance to the, the every at bat feeling like it was the most important at bat of his career. I mean, he he really soaked it all in. And, and today in his first at bat, he you know he stepped out of the batter's box and he looked up in the upper deck and they looked up over in left field and right field and and took it all in. And and that's when we all started getting emotional. But you know, he's not he's not really ever like asked for attention or asked for these ceremonies or asked for any sort of praise or. And, and, and yet he's, he found a way to, to play well over the weekend. He found a way to kind of harness his emotions and make a backhanded play to cement, you know, what is a surefire Hall of Fame career. So tell me going into today, what your thought was about where, where the exit ramp was going to be for you, uh, you know, as your plan, as yeah. you're looking ahead toward the game. So going into the weekend, you know, even the homestands, we had a six game homestand to finish. And, and, you know, I've been getting a lot of questions about when he's going to play. There's always going to be somebody that thinks he should play every inning of every game. But we, we, we mapped out, he's going to play the first two games against Kansas city, sit the day game. Um, and then, and then play all three games at, at DH. And we had a rain out, a rain delay in the fifth inning of a game. So he actually had to play every single day of this week. And so when it got to the last, you know, the last game, I had talked to him a few days ago and floated the idea of him popping out at first base at some point, like whether that was mid game, late in the game, you know, at the end of the game, whatever, whenever it felt right, we were going to put him out to first base. What he didn't know is we were going to surprise him by being the only player to take the field. And that is 
totally stolen from the Mariano Rivera all-star game, <laughs> you know, when he went out by himself and, and sit on the mound. And so when that, when that, when he agreed to, to play part, part of a, of a defensive inning, I'm just managing the game and, and, and trying to get him to as late of the game as possible when that at-bat's going to come. Now, he didn't get a hit in his first couple of at-bats. He struck out. He was chasing. He was anxious. And, and, and then he popped up to, to the middle infield. And so we knew his last at-bat was going to be in the seventh. And, and then we put the wheels in motion for his kids to come down. Uh, we got the players' attention, telling them to stay in the dugout no matter what happens. Um, and and wait for Mickey to, to take the field. And, um, you know, Stephen Kwan did an incredible job of hitting the ground ball at him, which we, if we would have scripted it, it would have been a perfect ending. So it ended up being exactly what we wanted. We walk on the field and had this celebration. And in those moments, you know, the number one priority is Miguel the, and his family. The number, you know, two priority, obviously, is, is, is all of our team and the fans and the people that wanted to experience it. But thankfully, you know, I'm looking over at the dugout, seeing Terry Francona handle it as gracefully as any opposing manager possibly could on his last day. And that soaking all that up on the field, I just took a step back and, and, and was wild. So when he batted, when he came to the plate in the seventh inning, I, I thought the, the pitcher just watching it on television, I wasn't there and I haven't talked to uh, Aniel De Los Santos, the pitcher. I thought he was trying to give him a fastball to hit, but my sense was he was nervous. He walked him on four pitches. Thousand percent. And if you look up De Los Santos, he he actually throws a ton of fastball strikes. Maybe the most fastball strikes on their team and and certainly above average in the league. So like when he came in, you know, we said in the dugout, like, oh man, he's gonna get a fastball to hit. Um, even though it's ninety four, ninety six, he's he's had a successful season. At least Miggy's gonna get a chance to put the ball play and hit it hard and, and see what happens. And then he misfired four straight and, and it had to be nerves. He's he's a general strike thrower and and the last thing I would have expected was him walking Miguel right on right. But I get it. You know, and it, you could tell. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and as the fans, you know, the fans were, you know, were booing and they really wanted him to, to, to get a hit. It turned out to be better that he walked and got out, obviously. And then there was this awkward silence after he got to first because I think they were primed thinking I was going to take him out, you know, off the bases. Um which was considered if, if Miguel didn't want to play first, if we could have done it that way. But the way it worked out was perfect. You know, there was there was some anticipation. Once I didn't take him out there, I'm, I'm pretty sure people thought he might have been going to first base for an inning or two. Um, and it turned out to be for an out, and, and then we had the celebration. Well, I love him pointing a finger, at least this is the what TV captured, him pointing a finger toward the dugout like, I got it, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Mm-hmm. And then he gets the ground ball and he's walking off and, and you greeted him uh, alongside his kids. What was it that you said to him? I just said to him, you know, I, I wanted to bring his kids out and I said, listen, they started today. Uh, they started your last day and they're going to finish your last day. You know, you, you got to get off the field. You're, you're out of the game. And, you know, he hugged his kids and then Miguel really didn't know what to do. And I'm like, your teammates are waiting here. And then you see our bullpen spills out from left field and they came running in and the dugout and all that was organic. That wasn't scripted, you know, outside of having his family down there in time for me to walk out with them. And his wife was in the dugout. We, we snuck him into the dugout, you know, at the beginning of that inning when he went out, cause I wanted him to hear the ovation from the field level. And we wanted him to, 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 to come with me at a moment's notice. Let's say that he had struck out Jose Ramirez is on deck. I'd probably go get him at two outs if Ramirez gets out or depending on the inning. So, 
I didn't know exactly when we were going to take them out in the top of the eight, but they were there to, to watch close by and grab their kids and, and, and headed out to the field. Well, you guys did a great job with it, and, and he deserved it. And someday I'm sure you'll be in Cooperstown listening to him give that speech when, uh, when he's elected to the Hall of Fame. Uh, I want to Before you go, I want to ask you a couple of questions about the upcoming playoffs. Um, we, we've seen this scramble at the end in both leagues for teams making the playoffs. Now that you've experienced all sides of this, do you view it as an advantage to be in the position of a team like the Braves who wrap it up early and kind of play out their schedule or is there a benefit uh, from doing what the Astros had to do and essentially play for their lives over the last week? Probably a little bit of both. If I had to choose, I would take the rest. Uh, just because, especially if I'm Atlanta right now, with the way their pitching's been beat up a little bit, um, any rest you can get Acuna, given his 40-70 season or whatever, it was incredible. That that was, you know, that's probably deserved in, in, in their camp. You know, I, I obviously what Houston did, um, was important, but I, you know, you're also watching Hector Neris and Ryan Presley and, and guys log a lot of important stress innings before the stress even really begins. So, you know, I, I think that the rest is going to pay dividends for those teams. When I, when I, when I look at the playoffs coming off the field today, after the Miguel stuff, you know, I immediately turn and turn on, on the, the TV and trying to find out what happened for seating and, and the changes that happened today would probably stress me out more than whether I've played games recently or not. Like if you're the twins, you've probably been prepping for the Mariners and the Astros for the majority of the last few days. And then all of a sudden, boom, here comes Texas, you know, or you're, you're looking at where Tampa is and, and, and now Baltimore has some time, but now it's the, you know, a completely different, you know, series in, in the other bracket in the American league. Um, nationally a little bit more streamlined, but the, the, the advanced scouting that is, is so important in, in postseason play just got thrown for a loop. And there's a lot of people in a lot of organizations that are going to stay up all night tonight, you know, structuring what, what the game plans are and, and thinking about rosters and who's going to make these playoff rosters. That doesn't, that's not the same for every team. This, the, the, the game plan is not the same for every team. And given the late changes with the seedings that, that can create a little problem. Now, you know the Astros uh, as well as anybody. Uh, you know, I, I just uh, talked to Tim Kirchin, talked to Sarah Langs. We all picked the Astros to go to the World Series because I've I become convinced that, you know, they, as they try to become the first team since the 98 to 2000 Yankees to go back to back, that they had the same challenge that those teams did with the Yankees. I thought those teams got boarded with the regular season in 99 and 2000. 2001 and then and then that that eventually has become something that the Astros have had to overcome what do you think yeah well the advantage is they've been there done that and you know the only the only sort of you know counter to that is that there are a lot of first timers or early timers in their careers that are going to get to play in the first round I look at Toronto and some of the the newness to those guys getting back to the playoffs and trying to get a little bit deeper and they're going to, they're going to use their experience and, and, you know, they're, they're matching up. I think it's what's against the twins who are, who are trying to, you know, get their wins in the postseason, which have been hard to come by. So that the advantage of those guys get a little bit of the nerves kicked out in their playoffs while Houston sets their rotation and, and figures out what's next for them. Kind of they've been there, done that. I think it's, I think the advantage for Houston that, that happened today is, is playing in mid and mid and being able to, to set your rotation the way you want. You get Verlander back, I'm sure. You're able to kind of get, get your ducks in a row for the second round. 
Um, that's a huge advantage based on how hard they had to push to make the playoffs. And I, you know, I see that same thing in the National League with some of the teams that are on the back end of, the, of making the playoffs in the last 24 hours. I'm sure I didn't look at the box score, but if Arizona rested their guys before they go and play Milwaukee, like those kids probably need it, even though they're young, just because their their world's about to be shocked about how intense the playoff games are, and 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 they're going to need to probably these next 24 hours to just catch their breath. All right, AJ. Well, again, you guys did an amazing job. Congratulations with that. That was a lot of fun to watch, and thanks for doing this. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and and thanks for your interest. Bleacher Tweets. Already Buster Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. Billy Flanagan writes in, watching the Rangers get shut out on the last and biggest game of the season after popping champagne the night before for winning a wild card irritated this fan. They handed the f- division to the freaking Astros on game 162. All right. We'll let uh, Billy's statement stand. I won't let it. Uh, he's he's obviously a big fan of the Rangers. I'm, I'm not going to challenge any of it. Okay. P.K. Steinberg is up next. He writes in, why does it appear that as though pitchers can win the Cy Young despite being on a bad team, but the MVP sometimes goes against a position player on a bad team? P.K., that's a fair question. Uh, I I think because the beginning when the MVP uh, award was given, uh, there were many examples where it was only a guy on a winning team who won that award, where the Cy Young Award has always been an award just given to the best pitcher outright i think player of the year uh you know for years it was an award given by the sporting news was more of the you know the cy young award where they would literally pick the best position player i think the mvp has evolved in the way that uh, the writers vote on it sj zavars writes and please stop saying that pitch framing is a catcher skill cheating should not be rewarded it's like saying that pickpocketing is a skill I think pickpocketing actually is a skill. Yes. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I would want to be someone who actually pickpockets, but I don't think there's any question it is a skill. Would you, you guys back me on that point? Yeah, definitely. And I could live in a world where you call pitch framing cheating because it's outside of the strike zone. Like, it's outside of the rules of the game, but it's the way the umpire is calling it. So, you know. Sarah, you were recently pickpocketed. You got something to say about it, I know. I was going to say touchy subject as someone who just got pickpocketed, but even I can recognize that that was very skillful. And you know what? Shout out to them. You know, you got away with it. Props. <laughs> Shout out to the criminals who ruined Sarah's life for a couple of days there. Uh, Jesse Jocelyn writes in the secret contract with R- the Rangers is the highest in club history. Reminds me of a rod, which was the highest at the time. How comparable are these players? Seekers higher contract adjusted for inflation. When Alex hit free agency, he was, uh, you know, uh, he was Ronald Acuna jr. Playing shortstop. Uh, mm-hmm. and he, for a long, long time, the contracts that he signed, uh, set a bar that nobody touched. It took a long time for other people to actually surpass the contracts that he got. So I, and I think, I think Sears a, a great player, but uh, and Alex Rodriguez was on a, a hall of fame slam dunk unanimous selection trajectory when he was early in his career. Last one for today. David Campbell writes in should and will MVP voters take into account Acuna cutting his strikeouts by more than half this year. Seems like an MVP thing to do. I agree, but I really think that the MVP vote in the National League is going to come down to how much each individual voter values the defensive metrics. If they put high, heavy weight on it, then Mookie Betts they'll, will be number one on their ballot. And if they look at overall offensive numbers, then I think Ronald Acuna Jr. will be number one on their ballot. 
Simple as that, according to Buster. If you yep. want more yep. information, 100%. According to Buster. Yeah, he's always right. That's the best thing about Buster. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets for more correct answers from Buster only while you're actually while you're not watching games, while you're waiting for games to start up. We're going to be back on Tuesday morning ahead of the uh, the first set of games here. Very exciting. All right. Well, that's it for today. We're taping this on Sunday night. Uh, I'm traveling to Philadelphia tomorrow uh, and then we'll have a podcast every day in the week coming up. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll make decisions coming up here as to who's going to be on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But you know this, we're going to get great guests. Today, my thanks to A.J. Hinch, to Sarah, to Tim, Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.